what's happening everybody welcome to crazy happy with me daniel fusco uh, a podcast where we want to explore what does it look like to be happy at street level where we all live people ask me all the time say daniel yeah, I want to be happy. Doesn't God want me to be happy? And I always say, absolutely, God does want you to be happy. But I love to remind people that God's plan for happiness is almost never found in the places where we are normally going to look for happiness. And so it's a great opportunity for us just to be able to spend some time together and explore what does happiness look like at street level where we all live. So if uh, you've subscribed to the podcast, thank you so much. It means so much to me. Uh, for those of you who are commenting on social media about the podcast, again, we are so grateful for it. And thank you all for reviewing the podcast and letting people know about it. And so we're excited to, to be here today. As always, I am joined by my friend, investigative journalist, author, father, husband, provocateur, master of the Twitterverse, all around amazing dude, Billy Hallowell. Billy, what's going on, buddy? That's a new one. Master of the Twitterverse. I, I like that one. I well, like that know, one. Twitter's the place that I could probably get myself in the most trouble. So I, I like it though. I'm I, I'm good with it. Well, I mean, I mean listen, we're, we're, we're Gen X here. So of course we know the master of the universe was He-Man. And so so now we got the Hallow Ma Hallowell man, <laughs> the master of the Twitterverse. Oh man. Oh man. And by the way, can you say God for me again? Because the way you say God, somebody mentioned this on, a, on an, an episode and can you just say God for the audience? Say it. So, okay. So I got to tell you a story about this. So because I need to hear being it. all Italian from New Jersey. I realized that I said the almighty's name uniquely. But what's funny is, is my grandfather, he always say, when you, when he was alive, he would say uh, broccoli. He'd say broccoli. <laughs> so we always say, Grandpa, say broccoli. And you go, broccoli. And so I always say, God, God, like say it wrong. It's not how you do it. It's, I know, because when you get put on the spot, you don't want to. No, I like the way you say it. It's got like this Billy Graham revival ring to it, but it's in this calm sort of way. Like I don't, I've never heard anybody say it that way. Anyway. I digress. Well, I think it's Sorry. because I have an East Coast accent, but it's buried under years of living right. on the West Coast and the Pacific Northwest. So I, I kind of have like a like like kind of like a fusion of a dialect of of it's English like that I speak. Fuskies, Fuskies is what we're going to call it. <laughs> That's what you speak, and I like it. I'm here. I'm here for it. I I really like it. Well, I know that I know that God loves me. So <laughs> <laughs> so hey, so so today, let's get into it. So today, we're going to turn the tables a little bit. Because normally, Billy, like, you know, I just love getting to hang out with you. And we love getting to talk with all these different people and talk about life and what God is doing and th and the different gifts that people have. But you just wrote a brand new book. I got my copy of it right Look here. Look at that. Look Let's at that. that. That's Playing with Fire by Billy Hallowell, A Modern Investigation of Demons, Exorcism, and Ghosts. Now, Billy, this is not a topic that people want to talk about very much today. So like, where did all this start for you? Go ahead. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's not even a topic that I wanted to talk about. So, and, and so let me, let me explain what I mean by that. I, for a long time, you know, working in media, these stories would come up and I'm a lifelong Christian. So I believe in all of these things. I know they're real, but you know, a lot of times you believe sort of in your head about things, you know, you know, you should believe in your heart about it, but you haven't experienced it or you haven't seen it or you haven't really. And I think this is probably the case for most people sat down to try to understand it, right? Outside of reading it in scripture and kind of moving on. And I think we do that with a lot of the stuff in the Bible that deals with Satan or evil or even the possession and healing stories. We kind of read through them. We're like, wow, that was pretty crazy. And then we move on. Uh, we like to talk about the parts that feel 
good and positive, I think. And so uh, for me, as as somebody who was working in the journalism world, I'd get these stories and I'd, I'd kind of cover them and they'd be assigned to me. And there started to be a couple of stories, and I'm going to use this word credible, right? We Again, we know as Christians these things are real, but these were stories that seemed to have weight to them. Like they seemed to have I'd try to fact check them and I'd think, oh, I'm going to catch these people in a lie. And like people would back up their story. Right. And I'd be like, that's really weird. Like nobody. And I don't know why I would expect that, but I would. I'd expect to find something that would make the story fall through. And so and when I say these stories, I mean, possessions, claims of things happening in people's homes, you know, that sort of thing. And so I had I was trying to figure out what book I was going to work on next. And I was kind of at a point in my life where I I was really looking to have fame for myself to, to write a book, to make myself, to give glory to myself basically. Right. And, you know, I came across this topic and I thought, boy, it would be great to write a book on that. And I pitched it and I prayed about it and it just didn't feel right. And so this is a couple of years ago and I, a lot has changed for me since then spiritually. And so the craziest thing happened. I walked away from this book deal to cover this very topic. And this other publishing house came and basically offered this to me, like the idea came up in a meeting, they offered it to me with no proposal, with no effort of me really trying. And I sat on the book contract for two months, because I was like, do I really this is heavy. It was a totally different approach. You know, I didn't feel right about it the last time this time I felt better about it. And I knew I should do it. But I was kind of holding back. But that's a long story to say I prayed about it. And over time really felt like it was a project I needed to dive into. And it was really one of the best experiences writing, playing with fire. It really was. So fascinating. Now, I realize that for you know all the folks who are listening to this podcast, part of our community, I realize everyone's in a different uh, step on their faith journey. People have different uh, faith backgrounds. And so if you're in that category where you're like, oh man, man, talking about the demonic and exorcism and ghosts like this, I do not want to do this. I just want to encourage you to hang in here with us because one of the things that I found is like, you know, not growing up within the church or, you know, like, I mean, I grew up in a, in a, in a cultural uh, version of Christianity, but never, never really thought about it. But like, I was also grew up as you did, Billy, in like in the age of, you know, the exorcist movie, I mean, I remember when Ghostbusters came out and, you know, when Rick Moranis was like the, the A-list actor back in the day and, you know, like the Ghostbusters movie came out. And I remember like kind of loving all of those type of movies, you know, and, and then these, there was all like the movies, like Stephen King's books were becoming movies. And there was all this movie where there's this, like, there's this evil in the world and it's so provocative to us. But yet at the same time as a culture, even though we love maybe being entertained by thoughts of evil or the demonic realm. I mean, cause these movies are iconic, but, but then when it comes down to like, Hey, there's actually like a spiritual realm that is actually pressing into the physical realm. Everyone's like, Oh, hold on. You know, the Bible's full of like old school people and they didn't understand it. And, and, you know, so like, can you talk a little bit about that, about like our, our, our love in a sense of being, we get entertained by thoughts of evil and the demonic, but yet when in reality, we kind of divorce our lives from it. Yeah. And that, so that's the crazy thing. So as I was writing, playing with fire, I'm going through and I'm looking at the fact that horror movies as a genre are exploding like people. And it's not just, you know, you brought, you mentioned the exorcist. That's where it really started with this topic of either ghosts or demons, something spiritual, right? But almost every Halloween, these are the movies, obviously not this year with COVID, but these are the movies that come out. This is what's popular. And so there are billions upon billions of dollars being made off of these movies because in our heart of hearts, we're interested in it as human beings because we we sense that there's something there because since the beginning of time, 
people have been claiming to have these experiences. So whether we really believe it or not, there's sort of, I think, something inside of us that wants to know more because it's one of, I mean, very few things that are sort of the common thread of humanity, having these experiences, being freaked out, being scared, not knowing, you know, what's going on. And so the Ouija board, right? I mean, look at the Ouija board. People are obsessed with the Ouija board. It's a fun game. They think it's a parlor game. And I have a chapter on this in the book. Um, but why? Because they think they can communicate with spirits. They think they can use it to communicate with what they believe to be the dead. And so this is really something that has not dissipated. If anything, it's become a bigger phenomenon in our culture. But yet, as you were saying, people, and here's the convicting part, the church, I think a lot of churches are not talking about this. And I don't just think that, I know it because we went out and did a survey of church leaders where we were asking them, and these were people who were either pastors or maybe they led Sunday school, all different kinds of church leaders. Yeah, you know, we said, hey, do you believe that demons are real and that they exist? And the vast majority said yes. Do you believe that demons can impact culture? The vast majority said yes. Uh, is your church talking about this enough? <laughs> The vast majority said no. So, you know, there, there's a sense even in the church of it because it's a it's weird, right? It's a strange topic. It feels weird to speak about, but yet I can't think of, and you're you're the pastor, so I want you to check me on this, but I can't think of another topic that's spoken about as often in the New Testament and yet spoken as uh, I not spoken about enough, I guess, in churches, there aren't a lot of topics that you can look at and say, okay, what's the prevalence in scripture versus how much we actually address the issue in houses of worship. Would you disagree with me on that or agree with me on that? No, I would absolutely agree. I mean, like, you know, at Crossroads where I get the pleasure of being a pastor, obviously, because we teach verse by verse through books of the Bible, like, you know, we get, we talk about those things, but I do think that for a lot of churches and for a lot of leaders, um, it, it does feel like a scary thing to talk about. And it feels like it doesn't really resonate with contemporary culture. Although like you're saying, between the popularity of horror movies and even as, you know, um, we've gone through an election cycle, there's been a lot of discussions about like evil behind people. And depending on which side of the aisle you talk to, you get different people who are the evil person, or, you know? And, and so it's interesting to watch our culture kind of be too sophisticated for discussions of the, you know, what we would commonly call the paranormal or the supernatural and the de demonic, except when it suits them. And then all of a sudden they just roll it out there like, hey, this is a big thing that we have going on. And so, so talk a little bit about this because, because obviously playing with fire, you guys can pick it up wherever you like to buy books, you know, um, you know, you're an investigative journalist. So like, so, so you're not only looking in the scriptures as, as, as a follower of Jesus, but you're also exploring different claims of people who have experienced uh, the demonic and ghosts and, you know, exorcisms and these type of things. Yeah. And so that was for me, the, the most interesting part of this process was going through these stories and trying to figure out and when I say stories, individuals claims of going through all sorts of different things. Um, one of the stories I, I will I will tell you about is this Indiana story. And this was a story I encountered when I worked at The Blaze as the faith editor. And it was about a mother, her mom, and three kids, and these claims of possession that were going on inside their home. And it was this wild story that had a lot of corroboration. It had a lot of people on the record saying, we've seen something here, something strange happened here. And so going into this book, my job was not to say, oh, you have to believe these things or, oh, these people's stories are true. My job was to say, okay, what, is the, what does scripture tell us? That's a portion of the book. Uh, but even if you don't believe what scripture is telling us, 
what are these stories? And let's dive into them and let's let people tell us their story. And then people can make a decision on what they believe once they have the information in front of them. Right. So, so this Indiana story, do you mind if I tell, I want to tell this story cause it's wild. Can I tell it? No, I won't even tell a story. Can I, can I just say something real quick though? So yes. for, for all of you who are listening right now, what Billy is saying is so super important because I like to call this keeping our Bible in our right hand. In the Bible, when it talks about Jesus sitting at God's right hand, it really denotes the, the, the place of strength or power because predominantly people are right-handed. If everyone was predominantly left-handed, Jesus would be sitting at the left hand. But the idea is a place of power. And and what one of the things I love about the book, and I can't, I can't wait for Billy to share the story because I remember when I read it in the book, I was like, ooh, this is serious. Um, it's so important that we keep the Bible in our right hand of strength and that we deal with what we're experiencing and then we keep our experiences in the left hand and then we check it against the Bible, which is in our right hand. What I think people have a tendency to make a big mistake on is that you put either our experiences in our right hand or our culture in the right hand. And then we, if we, whatever's in the right hand becomes the determining variable for everything else. And so, you know, in the book, Billy takes the Bible, puts it in the right hand, and then let's talk through the experiences and what they mean. But if you get those things mixed up, I think that you really end up in a really, in a non-biblical place, which is a place that ultimately doesn't glorify God. And so we keep the Bible, God's word that is, you know, infallible and er inerrant without, you know, it's without flaw. You may not like what it says, but it says, it means what it says and it says what it means. And, you know, so you keep that in your right hand, then you check everything that you're experiencing and say, well, how does the Bible define what I'm experiencing? Not how how does my experiences define what I do and don't like to believe in the Bible? So with that being said, the Indiana story, go. Well, actually, now you made me want to say something else, and then I'll get into the Indiana story. The, th the, thing, the thing that blew my mind about, about this topic, I had never isolated out evil in the Bible and looked only at, what does the Bible say about Satan? What does it say about these stories of, and I use the word stories, but we know that these are real events of Jesus healing people. I, I never looked at those things exclusively and, and pulled everything else away. And so it was really interesting to do that. And I had a lot of people telling me, don't write this book. You're giving attention to Satan and you don't want to do that. And that's why partially I sat on the contract for two months, even though I felt like it was the right thing to do. I wanted to make sure I was doing the right thing and that this was something that was going to be helpful. And I kept coming back to Ephesians 6, which I have read a million times and I've breezed right past it. But this idea that this is, you know, right now, especially, you know, in this country, and we've been dealing with this for a while, this division, right? This, this us versus them, this fighting over the flesh, flesh between flesh. And yet we're told in Ephesians six, that it's not a battle between, there's a battle going on. That's much bigger than that, right? A spiritual battle between good and evil. And this idea of taking up the shield of faith and that really we can get into what that means, but it's living a Christian life. And that's what protects us from all of this. And I walked away from all of this and we could talk about it after the Indiana story, but I want to say it now because I want people to understand why we're, I'm telling these stories. Um, it's not to scare people or freak them out, but I found that I had an incredible sense of peace after looking at evil and understanding it better because it really points you back to the need for good. It points you back to the need for Jesus. And so it was actually really faith affirming to understand it at a different level that I never really had before. And so that is the, that is why, you know, in the book, I go through individual stories. That's one big reason is to give people a sense of, Hey, this is what this can look like for people, right? Okay. So having said that now, now that I've gone on my mini Ted talk, I will go into the Indiana case and the Indiana case, as I mentioned, it was a mother, her mom, three kids, and they were living in this house in Gary, Indiana, and they started having things almost immediately happen inside the home. They had swarms of flies, you know, some strange things that you might be able to explain away, but then they started experiencing what they believe to be 
moments of possession and it would sort of jump from the mom to the kids and uh and, and it was very very traumatic for this family now of course the family goes to the doctor one day they take the kids to the doctor and the kids are acting erratic and they're acting crazy to the point where the doctor who has gone on the record to the indianapolis star and by the way this story was broken in the Indianapolis Star, so in a mainstream outlet. That's how much backing they had for this story that a, a newspaper picked it up back in 2014. But this doctor calls 911 because the kids are acting crazy, and they take the family to the hospital. And that's where some of these events start to be observed by other people. And when I tell this part of the story, I laugh every time because it sounds so unbelievable. And if you're one of those people who are skeptical about these stories, you're going to think I'm describing a scene out of the exorcism of Emily Rose or some other movie. But what is an official government documentation? And I pulled this documentation up. I have seen it. It is available online. Um, and, and this is documentation from CPS, Child Services Workers, okay, who were with the family in the hospital. When one of the children was acting out, they claim, the CPS worker, that they watched this child essentially like scale the wall, almost like walk up the wall, do this somersault and land on his feet. Of course, she storms out of the room, goes and gets a doctor, brings the doctor, and he doesn't believe the story. He thinks it's nuts, obviously, because it sounds nuts. And the mother's like, look, I told you, like, this is what's going on. They're trying, to, they, they think there's abuse going on, right? That the, the mom's making this up. And she actually lost the kids for uh, for a brief time during this, by the way. But uh, but so another person saw that as well, a nurse who went on the record talking about this. And so lots of other events in this case. And, and what I wanted to do in the book was not go to the family, but I wanted to talk to the people because they've already been on the record. I wanted to talk to the sheriff who dealt with the case. I wanted to talk to the priest who dealt with the case to get a sense of, okay, what did you really see? What did you really experience? And what blew my mind, and this is again and again and again been the case, is they backed up other accounts that were bizarre, things that they experienced going into it skeptical as well. And so I'm kind of condensing a major story into, into some tidbits here, but it really is, I believe, one of the most compelling cases that we have seen in the modern era. And listen, we live, it's, you know, we live in a time when people make a lot of things up. So is it possible these stories were made up? Anything is possible. But the, the number of people who were involved in this case and were touched by it, at the least, they were experiencing something that they could not explain. You're listening to the Edify Podcast Network. We'll be right back. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. This is the Edify Podcast Network. Welcome back. It's very, very powerful. Now, I think there's a, I mean, there's a lot of things that you just said in there that I think uh, we want to tease out. One of the things that people often say uh, when you look at uh, things as it relates to the scriptures, I like to remind people that you know we should expect heightened kind of demonic activity both in the New Testament because of the coming of Jesus, and then also the book of Revelation is actually full of demonic activity, which would also make a lot of sense uh, in regards to the biblical story with the with the second coming of Jesus. So, so the activity around 
um, you know, uh, the the first and second advent, or, or you know, or uh, uh, revelations of Jesus uh, two thousand years ago to come and die on the cross for the sins of the world, and obviously when he comes again uh, on that white horse to to judge the living and the dead. So I always like to remind people of that. But there's also a lot of discussion about how. We see a lot more demonic activity, uh, not in more westernized cultures, but in more uh, less westernized cultures. So, you know, uh, in your research, what have you found out about that? Like, I know I've done a work in, in India, and there's lots of discussions about, uh, you know, very intense demonic activity, you know, on the continent of India and other places. But something that, you know, it seems more rare and more sensational when it's happening in almost like a Western con- context. Yeah, and you know, it's such a. <laughs> America is such a strange country and that we have these Christian roots, right? We have these we have these beliefs that are embedded in culture and some of that's eroding and we're starting to watch that happen now, which is really interesting because as that is happening, there seem to be more claims of these things happening as well. Um, and so whether or not those are all legitimate claims, if you were to talk to anybody out there who deals with, you know, deals with this. A lot of pastors who are dealing with just people calling and saying they're having these issues. We are seeing repeated and increased reports, especially with the Catholic Church. They're the only ones who really track it. So they will say, oh, no, our numbers have gone up threefold or full for, you know, full forward over the last few years. And so as we kind of watch that unfold, it's interesting to me. Uh, but but there are a lot of things, and I guess you kind of have to go into what's embedded in a culture, right? Is it a culture where there are certain beliefs that might invite some of these things in? And so there are places around the world where that is the case. I also think people in other countries are ironically more open. Like the discussion we were just having about how people here, we tend to be very obsessed with the material, the here and now, right? And so it's very it's very easy to overlook some of these things. I think possession is a really rare phenomenon, right? It happens, but anybody will tell you who deals with it that you don't see everybody getting possessed. The example, the Indiana example is a rare one. What you do have a lot of is spiritual oppression. And that can happen really to anybody. I mean, you could, it could be a Christian or a non-Christian. That's not a possession, but that's the influence of the demonic over someone's life or the influence of evil um, in somebody's life in some way. And so we have a lot of that happening that may go unacknowledged, but when it comes to practices that might invite these things in, it's not coincidental that in some of the cases I was researching even of possession. So again, that most extreme example, you would have, you know, there's a satanic priestess, somebody who literally worships Satan, who was seeking healing, but didn't want to give that up. And I talk a little bit about her story in the book and a doctor she worked with who actually is here in New York, um, Dr. Richard Gallagher, who worked with her case and her case was so convincing that he became, he went from a skeptic to um, a believer and now works with the Catholic church trying to identify um, these cases. So it's hard to unpack. There's a lot there, but anybody will tell you if they go to Haiti or some of the you know, countries in Africa, that this is something that is openly discussed, openly talked about. And I think if we looked a little, clo- a little closer here in America, we would understand that this is something that also happens here. Well, you know, when you're talking about that, it also reminds me of that classic line from uh, the movie, The Usual Suspects, where uh, Kaiser Sosa said that the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing everybody didn't exist, you yes. know, and in some ways, like within the Western context, that idea that, you know, uh, the, you know, Satan exists, but we don't like to talk about him. We don't really acknowledge uh, the existence of the spiritual realm, both good and evil kind of functioning and then, um, you know, and it presses into the the physical realm in different ways. And when we see some of these cases, uh, intense cases where you're looking at, you know, sp- you know, uh, 
specific demonic activity that you can't reason away in other ways. It becomes such, such you know, sensationalized in our hearts. Like, whoa, is that really even real? So, so for us in the everyday, right? Like as we're moving through life, in, in your and obviously, like you know, wh- when people pick up the book, you know, playing with fire, and 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 they kind of digest through not only the stories, but you also have pastors and and, and people coming on in and talking about it. Like, talk a little bit about the takeaways for how you know as we move through life, what do we need to be aware of? You know, what do we need to incorporate in order to 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 live victoriously and to live with that kind of crazy happiness that we're always loving to talk about here uh, in, in the way that we live our lives every day. Yeah. And that's such a good question because the way that Hollywood presents this is that there's this evil force and it can overtake you and it can destroy you. And yeah, that can happen to people who allow that to happen to themselves. But but for the vast majority of us, if you're a Christian, you have authority over this stuff. There's no reason to be afraid of it. And I think for me coming into this project, I was really fearful to, to be totally honest because I hadn't thought a lot about these topics. There, there are two paradigms. There's the, there's the extreme of the demon under every rock, and then there's the extreme of never, ever talk about this and pretend it's not happening. And the truth is in the middle on how we're supposed to react to it, but I think the best thing, we go back to Ephesians 6, you take up that shield of faith, you live a Christian life, you, you, every day you have a relationship with Jesus, you pray, you read scripture, you know, and you live it out. It's, it's who you are, right? And you authentically live that Christian life, which brings the happiness, which brings all of it. That's how you, that's how you avoid these sorts of pitfalls in life, right? You don't pick up, you know, tools like Ouija boards. And I will tell you, I was, amazed going through scripture. And I don't know why I was because I've read it before, but to really look at how often we're told, don't deal with psychics, don't deal with witchcraft, don't, I mean, especially in the Old Testament, do not dabble in these things, right? And there's a story in Acts that really blew me away. And you would know this, um, you would know exactly where it is, I'm forgetting the reference, but the woman who was, she had it, basically she's a fortune teller and she's a slave. And she's following Paul around and driving him nuts. Right. And I love, I love reading through it. It just made me laugh. You know, she's following him around and you know, she, and she, again, she's a slave. She's owned by these men and they would actually sell her abilities, right? She's a psychic. They'd sell her abilities to people. And so finally Paul turns around and casts the demons out of her and she loses her ability to fortune tell. And that was so interesting to me um, reading that because it opens up a lot of questions. You know, some people think they don't believe in this stuff. And there are lots of shysters out there, people who make stuff up, people who pretend to have abilities. But scripture seems to indicate that, uh, you know, this is a real thing. And so you see this story. She loses her ability to tell the future um, once he expels those demons. So, you know, there's all these stories throughout scripture and they're and they're really telling um, to avoid these things, to not dive into these things. And so, you know, that's how we avoid it though, right? We avoid it by not intentionally looking for it, but we really avoid it by living a Christian life. And that for me, Ephesians 6 took on a whole new meaning at the end of this project. So powerful, you know, and, and there's, you know, so many stories in the Bible that point to a lot of the things that we see pretty regularly today. Like I was just talking with my kids about, you know, cause they were saying, Hey, like, you know, can people talk to people who, you know, have, who are deceased? You know, obviously there's, there's always a series of uh, TV shows that are going on uh, with people who talk to people who have passed and it, and it's very emotional and, and, you know, but then I was reminding them like, Hey, you know, there's a, there's a story where King Saul, uh, you know, the predecessor to King David, and, you know, he goes to the witch of Endor and he summons up the spirit of the prophet Samuel. And it's just such a crazy story. And, and, and I was like talking to my kids about it and I'm like, yeah, it's totally possible. But the Bible says we shouldn't do that. Like, so just the fact that Saul did it 
doesn't mean, you know, and that it worked, it doesn't mean that you're supposed to do it. And I think that's why, you know, the Bible's prohibition against these things isn't because the Bible is, is, uh, is just down on everything. It's like, you're like, as your, your book title says, it's like, you're, you're playing with fire. There, there is, you know, there is reality there that, uh, as humans, we don't quite understand. And, you know, the Bible tells us, listen, that you're not supposed to mess around in that area. And I kind of love that about the scriptures, right? Where it's like, Hey, there's a whole of these things out there. You're actually not supposed to be messing around in that area. Yeah. And it's, it was interesting too, because I talk a little bit about that, about that story. And then there's the story of Jesus dies, right? And suddenly you've got people coming out of their tomb, like coming out of their tombs and going into, going into the city and, and people are seeing them and it's like almost a zombie like story. It's a little different. It's almost like, Oh, they're, you know, and I, again, I've the read first past the apocalypse. That. Right. Exactly. I've read past that. I never, I never stopped to think that's really interesting. Uh, but you know, the, yeah, the Saul story I, I in Samuel's story, I found so fascinating because I thought, is God just allowing it in that instance? Is it, you know, there's so many, we don't know. There's so many questions, but clearly it was possible it happened. She almost seemed surprised, the witch, right? She almost seemed like, oh, this is interesting. Like she almost seemed taken aback for a second by it um, when you're reading, when you're reading that through. Uh, one of the things that some of the deliverance ministers and the exorcists, and for those who don't know, you know the ter- the terminology, by the way, in this world, which I didn't realize, it's very it gets very crazy because some people use the word deliverance more, and they actually believe a little bit differently. Like we're talking about exorcisms, right? Where somebody, presumably not a Christian, who has allowed themselves to be opened up, those are the rare examples. Uh, but there are some there are some people who believe every Christian should go through a deliverance, which is basically a prayer to expel any evil that might be in or around somebody. And so you can get into all these different conversations, but when you ask about demons in particular and ghosts, one of the things that came up repeatedly among these experts was that, well, listen, every time I've seen, not me, but these people, I've seen an example of somebody trying to communicate with the dead. They think they're communicating with the dead, but they're actually communicating with something else that wants them to think to get sort of trust in them. And and so they would say some of them that you're usually communicating with a demonic entity that wants you to believe it's a dead person. And so again, some of these things are mysteries. We don't know. We we know the answers to some of what we're told in scripture, obviously. But one thing, for instance, we're never told, and this really stuck out to me too, we're never told how any of the people Jesus healed were inflicted. What did they do that opened them up? How did it happen? And in fact, there are two children who are possessed who Jesus heals, a girl and a boy, right? How does a child become possessed? These are great questions to ask. And I think different people will come up with different answers to it. And they're all very interesting answers, but clearly a child can be afflicted as well. Well, yeah. And I think, you know, that's why when you start reading the scriptures through the lens of like the demonic activity, you know, where you have these, you know, uh, as you've been saying, there's possession, which is the most extreme form, but then you also kind of leaned into this idea of oppression, which I would go so far as to say that all of us experience oppression on some level, Yes. in different areas of our lives. So unpack that a little bit, because I know you get into that in the book as well. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think I tend to think of of Satan, like, well, first of all, what is the description of Satan? He's a liar. He's, you know, he's a killer. He wants to destroy you. He is, you know, essentially trying to confuse everybody. And when you look at culture today, it's hard not to watch that happening on a broad and grand scale, right? I mean, you're watching confusion. You're watching people try to understand and try to really put themselves at the center, not to put God at the center. All the things that you see as the description of uh, descriptions of Satan throughout Scripture are actually things you're seeing manifest 
on a broader scale, I think, in culture right now. But as you kind of go through that and you look, you have to say to yourself, how does this impact me? So we could talk about culture. We love to talk about culture because it doesn't always, you know, it doesn't always make us look at ourselves. But what are the weaknesses in my life life? What are the things that I struggle with? I tend to think those are the things that sometimes get attacked the most, or they're the things that because we struggle with them, they could be stumbling blocks. Now, I don't want to over-spiritualize everything because sometimes you just made a bad decision, right? Sometimes you just used your, you used your free will to do something awful and you're accountable for it. Um, but other times, I think there are things that come into our path. There are struggles that happen. And I would argue what you just said. I think all of us face oppression in one way or another. That's not to say that there's something inside of you controlling you, but that there are there is a force. When you talk about it kind of breaking through the physical realm, that that's happening. And sometimes it's happening in very slow and steady ways with our minds, what we're taking in, how how our minds are changing about different things. And so that's why when I think Christians, we sometimes do a really bad job of talking about how important it is to watch what we're consuming and what we're taking in, uh, because it really has a lot of power over what we think, right? And so, so I think oppression can take a lot of a lot of different forms. There's also infestation, which is a whole other issue that not everybody buys into. We could talk about that too, but but I think oppression is something again. We fight it by having that close relationship with Jesus, right? Everybody has things they struggle with. Those are the areas I think for me at least, it's important to be checking those areas and making sure in our relationship with Jesus that we're asking for that you know, power and that we know, we know we can find that in God to overcome those things and to you know, move away from those temptations when they hit. Well, you know, and one of the things that you said that I think is really, really provocative, and it's something I want to make sure everybody grabs a hold of, you know, you know, God's goal is for us to be, you know, walking with him, knowing him, and also happy in the life that he gives us. But one of the ways that Satan really wants to work in all of us is to make us think that we're the most important, that we're the center. You go back, you know, there's a there's a, a biblical principle called the law of the first mention, where if you want to understand how something works, go in the Bible to the first place it's mentioned. And, and the first place you see Satan is in the Garden of Eden as the serpent. And what's the very first temptation? Don't trust what God wants because God doesn't want you to be like him. So the original lie was you get to be like God if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And really all of our lives, self-centeredness, this idea that everything's supposed to revolve around me, um, you know, more cultural versions of narcissism, let alone, you know, kind of pathological and clinical versions of it. It's this idea that everything exists to please me. Everything, everything should revolve around me. I always tell people that when they think that they are the center of the solar system, it's quite disconcerting when you realize that nothing revolves around you. And that's like one of the big issues of all of our lives when you realize, hey, like my spouse is actually not there just to to please me. Like like they're you know th- that they don't exist for that purpose, or everyone isn't here to give me what I want. And so, really, one of the greatest areas that Satan is really having a field day in in ripping people off is when we start to think everything's about us. And really, the Bible says actually everything's not about you; it's about Jesus. And we are actually our happiest when we're not the center of our own attention, but where Jesus is. And when we are not the driver of our own life, but Jesus is as well. And that's a very provocative reality that when we move towards pride or self-centeredness, we're actually moving away from true happiness, God's best. And it is actually an example of the, uh, the, the demonic oppression that's happening on a very you know, normal level in all of our lives. 
and it's amplified through media and Hollywood. And we're being, con- I, and I, I actually get myself in trouble sometimes talking about this because I, I think you a lot of people- in trouble? No way. I know. I mean, I think, I think people take offense to it because you know, I was talking about it today on Twitter and people were like, you're saying that we're con- a specific group of people is being conditioned. I said, no, everybody's being conditioned. That is, I mean- all of Hollywood is worship the person. That's what it is, right? And outside of the moral issues and, and all that, and there's lots of great people in Hollywood too, but the reality is it's there's this focus on the self, this obsession with the self. And yet, and I'll be careful how I say this because I think it's important that we treat it lightly, but or treat it gently rather, not lightly. But you look at the statistics, the numbers, the suicide rate is through the roof. I mean, you like people are really struggling and they're looking for answers and they're not going to find those answers in themselves. Right. And so I'm not trying to oversimplify it. I know we have a lot of other issues going on with mental health and all that, but the opioid addiction rate, I mean, look at what is happening. People are really struggling and we're not giving people, you know, and we need to do a better job as the church, I think of reaching people, but we're not giving them in culture the answer they need. We're giving them this fake false answer, which I think many times there's a spiritual dynamic of that, you know, and, and what do people think? I don't matter. I don't matter. And one of the things that struck me in all of the stories that I encountered for this book, and most of them, at least the people I spoke with told me that they had this thought in their mind. You don't matter. You don't matter. You're worthless get rid of yourself and your life. And so I'm not saying that's the case in every time. I'm, I'm saying that for these people, those lies, those ideas, right? And we go back to who is Satan? A liar, tries to destroy, tries to kill. Those ideas were entering people's minds when they were in these states or when they were dealing with this sort of, not just oppression, but in their cases, possession. And so that really struck me because it was a common thread. Yeah. And I mean, and that's one of the things I always like to remind people that if, because we have these thoughts, like maybe nobody cares about me, the world would be better if I wasn't here. I don't matter. And I always like to tell people that if you ever feel like you don't matter, all you have to do is look at the cross of Jesus Christ, because the cross says, actually, you do matter for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that who would ever believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. It costs Jesus every, you could tell the value of something by what you're willing to give up to get it. Like, so if I, like, if, if I, I could say, you could say, oh man, I can't believe people drink $6 coffees. You know what I mean? Well, it's like, if someone's willing to give up their six bucks to get some caffeine with some frothy milk and some, some flavors. Look, you're trying actually, to convict me right now. You're trying to convict me right now. <laughs> but, that, but that's what it's worth. And, 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 and when you realize that like, you know, humanity, each individual is of such value to God that he would give the most valuable person for Jesus, his only begotten son. It shows just the tremendous value that God places on each one of us. And the huge lie that I don't matter, nobody cares about me. No, listen, J- Jesus cares about you so much, he gave up his own life so that you might live. And so, Billy, I know we could talk about this forever, but like, I want to make sure that people know, like, if they want to connect with you outside of the crazy happy with Daniel Fusco podcast, they want to, you know, get a copy of Playing with Fire, Billy's brand new book. It's a great very provocative read. And I really want to recommend that everyone go get, go, goes and gets it. So Billy, where can people find you? Social media, websites, all the thing. Tell us. So we got a, we've got a book or we've got a book websites playing with And there's some, actually some audio there too, uh, some interviews with people from the book, which is really interesting to hear. You can check that out, playing with And then Billy is where I kind of have like the central hub of a lot of the work that I do there. So those are the two places. And listen, I would encourage people don't be afraid of this topic. I think don't like, don't be fearful 
Don't be gripped by fear. Um, if it's something you're encountering or you feel you're encountering with, talk to a pastor. Um, you know, always talk to a counselor if you feel like you're having the, some of the issues that we've described. I think that's important. Uh, but but don't be gripped by fear. So good. And so, man, I know we could talk about this forever, but we'll close our time down together for all of you who are just enjoying this podcast. Thanks so much. And, you know, I really want to remind you that just because there's evil in the world does not mean that we're not still supposed to be light in the darkness. We're not supposed to be joyful, you know, and one of the crazy ways that we learn happiness is to realize that we walk, we walk through a broken world. We walk through a world where evil exists, but yet we realize that we're more than conquerors through Jesus who loved us. And so I just want to encourage you as you move through your days and your weeks, man, just say, God, I want to be your vehicle to sprinkle a little crazy happiness at my school, at my job, with my family, in the world. Because in a lot of ways, you know, what God wants for us, it's something that people catch from us, almost like a, a good disease. And that's a tough, a tough sell right now with a pandemic going on. But, but God wants us to really move <laughs> trusting him, walking with him. And so I want to thank you all for joining me and Billy Hallowell on this edition of Crazy Happy with Daniel Fusco. God bless you guys. We'll see you real soon. Take care. Thanks again for listening to Crazy Happy. If you love this podcast, you are absolutely going to love Daniel's new book, Crazy Happy, Nine Surprising Ways to Live the Truly Beautiful Life. This comes right out of some of the most powerful parts of the Bible. It's super practical, it's deep, and you will walk away totally blessed when you read it. I promise you. So go over to danielfusco.com and click on Crazy Happy, or you can find the book wherever books are sold. Crazy Happy.